It cost him a lot. His family didn't go to his wedding. He married my mother, who was not Jewish, and I grew up going to church. I didn't like church. It was... I just didn't like it. It was, it was not... It was not something I found enjoyable, and as soon as I could stop going, I stopped. I was a bit lost when I was in high school and when I graduated. I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was good at working on cars, and my parents thought I should do auto mechanics. And I was under my car one day, it was making a funny noise, and I decided it must be something in the transmission. Now, I'd never taken out a transmission, but to just give you some idea of my personality, I thought, well, I'll just have a look at the transmission. And so I undid the transmission and took a look in there and didn't see any pieces of metal that might be rattling around in the transmission. But while I was under the car, I had what I would call an epiphany. I thought to myself, if I can fix cars, I bet I could fix people. <laughs> and I put the transmission together, and my car still made that funny noise. It was a little piece of metal on the muffler that was rattling. But nonetheless, it started me on my path to be a physician. And since I could already fix cars, I thought, well, Surgery is what I would want to do, but what, what could I do that's really interesting? Uh, operating under a microscope. Brain surgery, that's what I'll do. And so I decided to pursue a career in neurosurgery. In medical school, Jesus was not popular. God was not really popular. It's, it's interesting. You're young and you're beautiful and you've got this great career ahead of you. It's interesting how the brain works. We think we're very logical and unbiased, but it's not true. Ultimately, you believe what you choose to believe and your brain will make it true for you. If you want to believe that, that we just happened here by chance with no directive force, your brain can make that true. You'll find people and you'll find information to back that up. If you want to believe that God loves you and that Jesus is the Messiah and he came to save you and die for your sins, there's a lot of people you can find that will say, we're not even sure Jesus was a, a character who lived and, and what he did. It all becomes fuzzy. And while I was in medical school, even though I had grown up going to church, the, I just didn't really want Jesus to be the Messiah. You see, it wasn't really good news to me. The way the brain works, it wants to maximize your pleasure and minimize your pain. And so if in your social circle that's not a popular idea, it will try to find reasons why you don't need to believe that. We're all very biased. And so I went through medical school. 
I got into neurosurgical residency, and I was continuing to ascend this specialty. I finished, I went to one of the top programs for not just neurosurgery, but vascular neurosurgery. That's neuro, neurosurgery on the blood vessels of the brain. So very high-tech work, very interesting work, very demanding work, very heroic work. I loved it. I was made for that. I was designed to do that kind of thing. About two years into my neurosurgery practice, I was operating on a woman who had a giant aneurysm. It's a, an aneurysm is a problem with the blood vessel. It's like if you leave your garden hose out in the sun too long, the hose will balloon out. It looks like a snake that swallowed a rabbit or something. It's, it's, a, it's a bubble in the vessel, but the vessel gets thin enough that ultimately it can burst and then it would, the blood would go throughout the brain, and it's oftentimes life-threatening. So if we find these aneurysms, we try to fix them. And this woman had one in a very difficult place to fix. If you drew a line between your eyes and between your ears, where those lines intersect, that's where this aneurysm was. Very difficult place to get to. But I had not only finished my neurosurgery training, I'd gone to Vienna, Austria, and I'd done a fellowship to do endovascular neurosurgery so that I could not only open up the brain and do surgery, but I could go through the artery in the leg, thread a little tube up, and do surgery through the arteries. And this woman's aneurysm was complicated enough. She needed both approaches. And so I started off doing a bypass operation. I opened up over the artery in the, uh, in the scalp, the superficial temporal. If you put your finger right in front of your ear, you can probably feel a bit of a pulse there. Don't press too hard, because it's a very small vessel. It's a millimeter or two. So you take that vessel and you skeletonize it, in case you want to do this at home, I'm going to give you a bit of a <clears throat> little primer here. You separate it, you carefully dissect it out, and you make a window in the skull. You go down and actually sutured that vessel, a plumbing operation, basically sutured it using thread you can barely see with the human eye under a microscope to the vessels of her brain stem. It was a fantastic operation. Very few people could do that operation. And I was able to do it technically. And I was so impressed, and I couldn't wait to show these pictures at the next meeting. She woke up. She did well. But she developed a blood clot, and she died. And that was a big shock to my system. I had spent 11 hours doing this surgery. And the surgery went flawlessly. But due to some medication issues and some clots that formed, she, she died. And that was one of the first times in my life I remember feeling this, wow. I thought if I did everything perfectly, it would turn out perfectly. Well, some of us, before we turn to God, we need a few things in our life to get rattled. And there, at the same time, happened to be a woman that I liked. I wouldn't have said that I liked her. 
You see, I'll back up just a bit. Everything I learned about relationships, I learned from watching James Bond movies. <laughs> I had the high-tech, dangerous job. But that thing where he treats women poorly and they love him, I, I couldn't get that to work for me. <laughs> so sure enough, this woman started dating another doctor, and I, I just... I was angry, I couldn't understand it. He wasn't a neurosurgeon, I, I mean, how... <laughs> what are you thinking? And I remember being very angry, just angry. It was not, it was not fair, it was not right. What I was told by my dad, if, if you were the best, you'd be happy. And as far as I could tell, I was the best, but things weren't working for me. Life wasn't working. And I remember calling my mother on the phone. And I was complaining about my father. Didn't really encourage me, wasn't, didn't really seem like he enjoyed me, just sort of all the negative things. And she said, David, you need to forgive your father because you've hurt people and you need to be forgiven. Well, that's not why I called her. I was hoping for some sympathy. Forgiveness? What, what is she talking about? He he should be asking me for forgiveness. But that second part about me hurting people and needing forgiveness, now that actually made some sense because I'd hurt this woman and to get where I wanted to be, I was very ambitious and walked on a few people to... It's just how the world works. If you need to get somewhere, you, you, you've got to climb over some people. So I decided at that point, okay, I'm going to forgive my father. And I hung up the phone, and I started the forgiveness process. And I call it a process because forgiveness rarely is a one-time event, especially with the big relationships in our lives. It's like an onion. You've got to peel it. But I said, okay, okay, God. I'm going to let this go. Whatever it is that I should have learned from my father, whatever I think he should have given me, I'm going to allow you to reparent me, to father me and give me what I, what I need. Because the world doesn't seem to be giving me what I need or I don't know how to get it. I'm doing the best I can. I should be happy. But it just seems like I always have to do a better surgery. I always have to do something more dangerous, more interesting, present it a bigger meeting. And if they don't invite me back the next year, I'm very upset. So I seem like I have the status, but I'm actually quite insecure. And I needed to be forgiven as well. And that transaction, as I asked for God for forgiveness for the things that I had done, it sort of 
separated this locomotive that was driving so hard to be a success in the world's eyes. Because I couldn't get the attention or admiration I wanted from my dad. I was going to get it from the world, and I was just gifted enough to do it. But ultimately, it left me very empty, unless I could do it again the next day and the next day. Very performance-oriented love. And as I started this journey with Jesus, with learning about my Heavenly Father, things started to change. I was, I was more joyful. I had a little more freedom because if you are trying to be famous and if you're trying to keep doing something bigger and better, ultimately it ends in futility. You, you know, Solomon says it in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanity. It's all vanity. Let's put up that first verse. I know you're studying the book of John. John 14, 18, Jesus says this to his disciples. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Kind of strange he would say something like that, orphans. He's talking to James and John. James and John, we know their father was Zebedee. They're sons of Zebedee, and we know their mother is going to ask Jesus if their sons can sit next to him in the kingdom. So, they have a father and a mother. What is he doing calling them orphans? What is the characteristic of an orphan? How do you define an orphan? Doesn't have a father. Doesn't have an inheritance. Has to constantly claw and strive to get something, and when he gets it, he's got to put his elbows up and eat it real fast. Doesn't fit in. Usually pretty ambitious. How are orphans with trusting other people? They trust what they can see. Show me the money. If you're going to take a journey of faith, having an orphan heart is not a good thing. Having an orphan spirit is very difficult for the life that Jesus is calling them to. But he says, I will come to you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I am going to take you to your father because you're orphans and everyone needs a father and an inheritance that we become sons, men and women, we become sons with an inheritance with our father. You see, my father, if I look at him, I, I was acting actually like, like an orphan. Clawing, striving, performing, not resting well. How are orphans with their anxiety? A lot of toe tapping, a lot of nail biting. 
I wonder if any of us have some orphan behaviors that might need a look. Because orphans really struggle with faith. They like it when they can see it. And Jesus calls us to a life of faith, a life of hope. How are orphans with hope? They have a lot of hope. They have hope if they can see it. Hope if it's in the retirement account. Faith, hope, and love. How are they with their love? Uh, I'll love you as long as it's coming back. Jesus is calling us not to be orphans. The problem is my father acted a lot like an orphan. I give him tremendous credit. My father, like a King David character, came to Jesus away from his family, did something very courageous. It cost him a lot. But you know, he couldn't give me what he didn't have. I wanted to be special. I wanted to be enjoyed. I wanted to be encouraged. And my father was sort of in his own world. And he was acting like an orphan. That's where I learned it. Oh, where did he learn it? Oh, his father did the same thing. He grew up during wartime. Everyone was an orphan during wartime, scratching, clawing, trying to get some food, trying not to get killed. And as far back as I can see in my generations, no child thought that his parent really loved him. Every generation, there was a separation, there was a problem, there was a division, there was anger, there was accusations. In fact, it's interesting, I, you might tell from my name, I actually am a descendant of the Levitical tribe, of the tribe of Levi in the Bible, the Jewish line. And Levi was one of Jacob's sons. But Jacob had a favorite, it was Joseph. Levi was not born to his favorite wife. There were problems with that father-son relationship all the way back to my ancestors. And Jacob, did he have some problems with his family? Yeah, Isaac chose Esau. You see, it goes all the way back. But none of us have to be orphans now. The world tries to tell us and sold me quite a bill of goods to say, if we give you legitimacy... You can escape or orphanness. You can escape it with a title. We'll give you a title, an academic title. We'll call you neurosurgeon. We'll make you a professor. You will have what all orphans want, some respect. And no one will be able to question your legitimacy. Although you better toe the line, because if you make a mistake, there could be a lawsuit, and that's going to be a lot. There's always something that can get behind that facade and say, you're really a small boy. But you know, they question Jesus' legitimacy as well. Let's look in John 8. The Pharisees are saying to him, they hate him, by the way. He will not accept legitimacy from them. Aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Hmm. I'm not possessed by a demon, says Jesus, but I honor my father, but you dishonor me. 
Wow, calling the Son of God demon-possessed, ouch, ouch. They are stooping as low as they can. They are trying to destroy him. They hate him. Why? He will not accept legitimacy from them. He, what are they asking him? Who gave you this authority? He won't even answer them. He didn't go to their rabbinical school. He's a carpenter. What are you talking about? He didn't, he didn't go to school at all. You call yourself a rabbi. You've called your own disciples. You're not doing it the way we do it. Where is your legitimacy? And by the way, aren't you a Samaritan? Ooh, now they're stooping even lower, going to his birth origin, knowing that mom and dad weren't married when he was conceived. They're stooping pretty low here. And orphans typically react, and they want they would try to please. They would try to please the administration. They would try to come under this pharisaical rulership and see what they can do to work things out. Jesus says, I don't have a demon. Doesn't even seem to get upset. Just says, you dishonor me, but I'm honoring my father. Doesn't buy into any attempt to get him to act like an orphan. You're not shaking his self-esteem by saying he has a demon, which would rattle me, or calling into question his birth. He doesn't say, no, no, it was really legitimate. Uh, the Holy Spirit came upon my mother. and He's not arguing with them. He's just saying, I honor my father. You dishonor me. My life began to change a bit after I forgave my dad. It was a, not an immediate change, but things started happening. I began to see patients differently. Basically, I loved uh, wealthy people, attractive people, people with very interesting aneurysms I could publish and make me famous. The people that I liked were all people, I call it boomerang love. You throw it out and it's coming back. They can do something for you. People with too many problems or that would take too much time in the office, I really didn't want to spend much time with them. But I found that Jesus, in fact, could love all people even if they couldn't do anything for him. Wow, I would love to learn how to do that. I want to be like that. I want to be able to love people like that, not just if they can serve me to get me to my acquisitions. I wasn't sure how to fuse or how to bring faith into my job. I hadn't had any model of that. I had to have a filling replaced, and I went to my dentist one day, and the dentist pulled out that, what is it, three-inch needle that they use to numb you up. And so I bristled a bit. Where injections are concerned, I believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. <laughs> so he pulls out this big needle, and you know how dentists do. I don't know if they do it here, but they kind of hide it. They, they think if you don't see it, you'll be fine. 
I knew it was coming, and so I sort of, you know, was, was anxious, and he, he just put his hand on my shoulder. He was a man of faith, and he said, I'm going to say a little prayer for you. God, thank you for David. Guide my hands. I don't know what he said, but somehow there was a bit of peace that came over me. There was something that said, oh, that's right. I, God is here with me. I, I had forgotten that. Because that's what happens, right, when we get stressed. The first thing we forget is that God is with us. Whatever your stress is, whether it's a needle or a letter from your lawyer or the neighbor or someone yelling, stress, you feel totally alone, especially if you have some orphan tendencies. Someone to remind you, God's with you. Now, the injections still hurt a bit, but we all know that pain is made worse by anxiety. So after the dental procedure, I was on my way home, and I heard this little voice saying, you know, you should pray for your patients. Oh, no, I said, that's a special gift that you've given to dentists. (laughs) They're so good at it, and I wouldn't want to pray for people because... I mean, I've got surgery that's really risky. I mean, that, you know, dental procedures is one thing, but praying for really risky surgery, I mean, what if something goes wrong in the surgery? What, what will happen? Or will people think I'm studying for the ministry or in the priesthood? Or people think I'm trying to push my faith on them? I, I, don't, I don't think it's a good idea. And then I heard this voice saying, If you're worried about being misunderstood, at some point you will be, because Jesus was. But you still need to do the right thing. Hmm. Wow, Jesus was misunderstood. He did nothing but good. He was tremendously misunderstood, but that didn't stop him from saying, uh, I better be careful and not be misunderstood. He did good. So I said, okay, I will... Ask the next patient if I can pray. Tuesday was my surgery day, and I came up the stairs to the preoperative area, and the patients were lined up, and I went in to see Mrs. Jones. And I was, I was nervous. My stomach was in a knot. My knees were kind of weak. I mean, surgery is usually my day. You just... Being a surgeon is actually great. You... You're the boss. They, they really have to sign the form. You, you talk to them about the risks. <laughs> but asking to pray, I, I was unnerved by that. So when am I going to slip this in? And it wasn't, you know, when you make deals with God sometimes, I was in a quiet dentist's office. Now it's busy pre-op. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a bus station. There's a lot happening here, a lot of people around. It was just me and the dentist. So I didn't know when to pray, and then I, there was a nurse there. I, thought, I just don't want to pray in front of a nurse. That was not part of the deal when I agreed. <laughs> so I tried to outlast the nurse, but I couldn't. She had too many things to do, and so I went back to the nurse's station and pretended I was on the phone until she left, and then I started walking over to her, but here came the anesthetist, and I turned right back around. <laughs> I didn't want to... Didn't want to do anything publicly. Finally, the anesthetist left, and I, I came up to Miss Jones, and I said, uh, her two daughters are there. 
uh, just sort of blurted it out, uh, would you like a prayer before your surgery? I'd seen on her sheet that she'd listed Protestant as her religion, and so I figured she'd at least heard a prayer, and that I didn't know what to expect. She said, oh, okay. So I put my hand on her shoulder. That's what the dentist had done. Neurosurgeons don't touch a lot of people, but we like them when they're sterilized and all of that. I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, God, thank you for Mrs. Jones. You made the vessels in her brain and you can help me to fix them. I ask for wisdom and success in this surgery. In Jesus' name, amen. And I opened my eyes and Mrs. Jones has got tears running down her face. And her daughter, same thing, they're, they're, they're crying. Like, wow, that's sort of that same thing I felt in the dentist chair. There's something about introducing God into a, a situation that's a bit scary for people. But now I have three crying women on my hands, <clears throat> which uh, neurosurgeons do handle that in a certain way. What I did was I patted her on the hand, and then I let the nurses deal with it. And <clears throat> out I went, I hit the automatic doors, and I felt, wow, that was something, wasn't it? And I had more joy at that surgery than I had had at any previous surgery. Because I said, in effect, you may be looking at me as if I'm some sort of god or demigod or whatever it is, however you look at your doctor or your surgeon, your savior. Now, the truth is, I'm good at what I do, but I'm not God but I'd be glad to talk to him with you if you're interested. It's called authenticity. Instead of claiming and trying to puff myself up, stick out my chest that this is all me, it's clearly not. And that, carrying all of that responsibility is also not good for me. You can be excellent at what you do, but always try to include God in the process. The surgery went well. Her daughters met me after and said, wow, thank you so much. Gave me a hug and said, thank you for praying with our mother. It, it, it gave her such peace. I felt like God was saying to me, David, you're, now you're on the right track. Now you're honoring me with what you're doing. You are bringing me into your surgery. It's not all you and you maybe sneak a little prayer. You're actually inviting people to interact with me, to that I'm, you're reminding them that I'm with them in their trial, in their crisis. And I began having much more joy. One of the issues was that I always had to wait until the nurses left to pray with anybody. And so I remember one day when I was pacing back and forth, sort of waiting for the nurse to leave, I heard that little voice again saying, yeah, what are you waiting for? So I'm waiting for the nurses to leave. Everyone knows they talk. I mean, I don't want them to be back there at the nurse's lounge saying that crazy doctor who prays for people. Well, are you praying for people? Well, yeah, but I don't want them to talk about me like that. I, I'm trying to control my PR here. 
And that word authenticity came again. Is it, is it doing some good? Oh, yeah, the patients seem to love it. Some don't want it, but the ones that do, it's such a, such a beautiful thing for them. Well, then why are you afraid to be honest about who you are? Why are you afraid that if someone would find out? You see, orphans are always afraid it might affect your career advancement. Got to watch it. Got to watch it. As we read the scriptures, Jesus sees beautif beautifully. He sees the spiritual realm. Now you honor God. Seek first his kingdom. All these things will be added to you. See, orphans don't see the kingdom very well. We only see what we want to see. And so I decided to pray for the next patient with the nurse there. And after a few weeks, I was on my way out of the pre-op area, and then one of the nurses stopped me and said, uh, Doctor, can I speak to you a moment? I said, sure. I'll, what is it? She said, you know, we've noticed you're praying. And I said, oh, what? <laughs> she said, a lot of us would like to pray with you. Would you ask us to pray with you? We're afraid to pray, she said, but if you pray, then we can pray. That's what happens sometimes, isn't it? You, people are afraid, but you are the icebreaker. You're someone who can go and lead the way and allow others to follow you. But it takes some courage. And it was beautiful as I was able to have the nurses that wanted to join, join. I want to go back to this bit about forgiveness in my father, because that's where it all started. That's where I would say the fork in the road started for me. All this ambition, all this people-pleasing. I was unable to move toward God because the wounds that I had experienced in my childhood, just learning to be an orphan, and then what happens is we see God like we see our earthly father or mother, usually whichever one was worse. Whichever one was more authoritative, more controlling, more angry, we say, well, that's what God's like. It's, it's, it's neurological. It's a template. You don't, you don't even have to try. But if that happened to you, and most of us have had parents who were not perfect, there are things that you're going to have to unwind in order to see the Father for who he really is. Because you think you know. He's good. I just somehow need to keep a bit of distance from him. And long as long as I keep everything, oh, you know, he'll, he'll bless me. If something is keeping you from moving toward God, I wonder if there's some forgiveness that might need to happen with your parents. Forgiveness is a tough thing. We are never more like God than when we forgive. Jesus is on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, they look like they knew exactly what they were doing. Somehow, he said, no, in the spiritual realm, they don't. They're just acting out their orphanness. They're just doing what they think is expedient for them right now. They have no idea what they're doing. And I don't believe that my parents or yours had any idea what they were doing or not doing or should have done, that it was going to have such effects.
One of the ways that we can forgive is we can tells us in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells us to forgive from the heart. We can forgive as an act of the will. Yes, I forgive. Forgiveness and bitterness tends to come back. It's like Velcro. It sticks and we have to do it again and again. But one of the ways, one of the tools that helps is to develop some compassion. Sometimes it's hard to want to see what were the things in their life that caused them to do what they did to you. Wounded people wound people. Hurting people hurt people. What happened to my father in his childhood? What was, like, what was it like growing up with few resources during wartime? What did he receive from his parents? I can tell you he didn't receive a lot of love and nurture. There wasn't much to go around. He couldn't give me what he didn't have. But God says, bring it all to me. I will give you all of that. I just, if it's okay with you, is it okay if I give it to you from another route? He's not going to be able to give that to you. Is that okay with you? No, but I want it. Everyone wants it from their father. Everyone wants it from their mother. Everyone wants it from their siblings, their children. You want that respect. It's something special about it. It's very, very valuable. God says, I know. I will give you that value. Can you come to me for it? Spend some more time with me. I will bestow that value. That's the kind of father I am. And that's the relationship that Jesus had with his father. And that's the relationship that I want and that I'm going after. And as circumstances come up and convince you that God doesn't love you, the love of God is not based on your circumstances. The cross of Christ showed the love of God for you once and for all. If we look to our circumstances, who's treating us well? Oh, he loves me today, or he's angry with me. It's not going to work well. I want to take some time. I want to give you some time now, just in silence. If there's someone that you need to forgive, I want you to, if it's really troubling you, you can say, Jesus, if you've received him as your savior, you can say, you live inside of me. I give you permission to forgive this person from the inside of me. Let him help you. Most of us that have been wounded deeply, forgiveness is a big, big issue. I've been mean, a big problem. We, we, in fact, if you let go of that, you might not have anything. Who are you? What will you do? What energy even gets you up in the morning? This anger, this vitriol, this injustice has actually given you anger and energy for your life. If you let it go, I can promise you, God will return huge blessings to you. Forgiven, it will be forgiven you. There's huge blessings for forgiveness. I'm going to give you a minute right now, just, just with God. I've said enough. Orphanness, forgiveness, people that have hurt you, essentially unforgiveness and bitterness chains us to those people. There is a bond between you. As soon as you hear their name or as soon as you think of them, something twists and it has even the power to ruin your day. God doesn't want anything to have that power over you. He wants only him and his love for you to have that power. So I'm going to give you a minute now and I'm going to lead you through a prayer of forgiveness. I believe there's power here today to help you to forgive. Let's take a minute.
want to lead you in a prayer. It's something I'm probably stirring up some things that could be talked about and prayed through more at home, but let's... God is here with us. He wants to help forgive. And this may just be the first layer. He may need to do it again tonight and tomorrow and again and again until forgiveness becomes your habit. But let's go through this prayer together. Uh, Heavenly Father, let's say it after me. Heavenly Father, I choose to forgive for the things that they did and the things that they didn't do that hurt me. Specifically, I forgive them for... I want you to take another minute, and I want you to specifically, the more specific you can be, the better. Was it money you lost, time, energy, years of your life, deep wounds, whatever it was, if you can forgive that, ask the Lord to help you. But line by line, the more specific the more powerful this is. You're not holding anything. You want to let go of all of it and let God fill all of those things that you've been wanting to have filled by that person. Let's continue. I forgive with all of my heart. I give them to you, Lord. I trust you with justice. You don't need my help. I also trust you with mercy. I set them free. And I set myself free from this prison. Father, heal my heart and tell me your truth about who I am in this situation. I just want you to sit now in silence and listen. The Lord comes very close to those who are contrite and humble and forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom. Is there a word? Is there a song? Is there a picture you're getting? Just sit with him for a minute. Father, I thank you for each one who has forgiven today. And that as they've begun their process, you will continue to help them. You are so proud of them. They are acting like their father. You are a forgiving father, and now your children are acting like you. And it makes you so proud. It makes you so loving toward them. Lord, I pray you would help them continue this process and continue to move toward you as they separate from the their earthly fathers and mothers and some of the harm that was done, that they will now move more aggressively toward you the way that I did and the way that's available to them. I pray a blessing on them, on their relationships, especially their relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.